In the last year, I have had three friends who have gone on a pilgrimage to Camino de, Sa de Santiago, in English, the way of St. James. There are many different paths, uh, different places uh, throughout Spain where you can start on the Camino, uh, but they lead to a cathedral, a shrine which entombs the remains of St. James. Camino de Santiago, or just the Camino. The three stories of my friends vary. Uh, the treks can be long, uh, 500 miles, 400 miles. You have to walk at least 100 kilometers of the Camino in order to receive the certificate at the end when you arrive at the cathedral. And there's a saying, we all have our own Camino. The first of my friends went to process her grief, leaving ashes of a beloved at different spots along the way. She's in recovery and her journey was filled uh, with the ingesting of cookies. She bought a cookie in every town. Um, another friend also left ashes, those of her father. Her stories of the Camino were different. She's a musician. She um, sought out the wine, the bread, the cheese, the music, the dance. She would find the singers and other musicians uh, wherever she landed at night and um, play with them, unless she was too tired, in which she would just go back to the room, do some laundry, hang it to dry for the next day and go to bed. The third friend had walked the Camino many years ago uh, in his youth and was doing it again uh, after post-retirement, but he found he was a, in a different stage of his life when he got there. So he came home earlier than he planned to his wife and to their grandchildren. He told me that the goal each day for the Camino in general is at least 14 miles a day which means that some days you have to do more than that because the towns with the hostels are not evenly spaced 14 miles apart. He came home, but he continued his Camino here in Loudoun County, walking the equivalent of what he would have walked in Spain until he finishes. We all have our own Camino. For each of these folks, this experience has been transformative, deepening, and grounding. Thich Nhat Hanh says that the miracle is not to walk on water, but on the earth. Walking on the earth allows us to notice those altars in the world that we've been talking about in this year's sermon series. Those altars in the world, those humans and objects and beings and experiences really that only going slower may allow us to see and experience. Not everyone is able to walk, but most people can, which makes it one of the most easily available spiritual practices of all. All it takes is the decision to walk with some awareness, awareness of both who we are and what we're doing. Where we're going is not as important. To detach the walking from the destination is in fact one of the best ways to recognize the altars you are passing right by all the time, writes Barbara Brown Taylor. 
Do we spend so much time thinking about where we've been or where we're going or where we're supposed to be going that we have a hard time recognizing where it is we actually are? Taylor writes, when someone asks us where we want to be in our lives, the last thing that occurs to us is to look down at our feet and say, here, I guess, since this is where I am. X, X marks the spot, remember, from earlier in September. Thich Nhat Hanh is well known for walking as a spiritual practice. He taught others and now they teach others about walking, meditation. There's a specific technique. I won't be able to do it with my hand, um, but first the barefoot extends over the earth, coming down so slowly that not even a dry leaf is displaced. And then the arch begins its long descent, laying itself down like a cat. And finally the toes arrive, beginning with the small one and ending with the large toe. Imperceptibly, the arrival turns into a departure as one hill rises and the other comes down. When someone comes to Plum Village in a wheelchair, an instructor finds a comfortable place for that person to sit and watch the walkers, asking them to pick one of the walkers to follow, just focusing intently on what that person is doing as they deepen their own breathing. Watch the movement, the instructor will say. Notice the exact moment that the foot leaves the ground. See the shape of the arc the foot makes as, it's find, as it finds its way back down. When your mind wanders, as they are wont to do, right? Um, ride your breath back to the present moment. After about 20 minutes of this, most people discover at least two things. First, that they can do walking meditation without leaving their chairs. Yeah. And second, that their bodies are not as localized as they thought they were. Think of a labyrinth. Some people think of labyrinths as mazes, but they aren't. Labyrinths aren't about being lost and trying to find your way out in a trick path. That's a different sermon. <laughs> Labyrinths have a path that one follows in and then out. And the patterns vary. My favorite is the Chartres Cathedral pattern, which I walked not in France, but in San Francisco at, at Grace Cathedral and at the largest labyrinth in California in uh, outside San Diego, the largest outdoor labyrinth, I think. How many of you are familiar with labyrinths, just so I know who I'm talking to here? Okay, good. Um, I tried to find a portable one to bring today, but the ones that I could borrow were bigger than our sanctuary, so <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Um, but some of you may have visited the labyrinth at the Frederick UU congregation up in, up in Maryland. A labyrinth trusts those who enter to stay on the path voluntarily because most of the time they're not they're not walled you're not walking in a wall or in anything high you're walking into something where you can look around even step to the side in an emergency you could just scoot right out 
labyrinths include switchbacks and detours and you think you're headed in one place and then you realize that path is taking you on a circuitous route to get to the center. Sound familiar? Like life, maybe? To note though, is that this path goes nowhere. We can spend an hour on it and end up 12 feet from where we started. The journey is the point. The walking is the thing. It can feel one day, one way, one way, one day, and then completely different the next time we walk it. I, when I walk a labyrinth, at least in the past, I think of it that not as going nowhere, but going to the center. But really, I'm just 12 feet from where I started. But then to come out again, leaving behind the past and moving into the future. Others have their own meaning, interpretations and process. It doesn't, you don't, I'm not saying here's the right way to do it. Your way is the way. And it doesn't have to be the same all, all the time. It offers a set path, but it doesn't offer a set experience. Instead, it offers a door that anyone can go through to discover realities that meet each person where each needs to be met. Walking as a spiritual practice can be frustrating if we want it to work like a treadmill. You know, like we walk at least 30 minutes a day at a set or variable rate. We keep the heart rate at a certain level. There are predictable results. The pulse can lower, the muscle tone can improve, our stamina can increase, we can feel stronger. Reliable results for those who use it there, reliable results are there for those who use it the way they're supposed to on a regular basis. Yeah, spiritual practices are not like that. <laughs> the only promise they make is to teach those who engage them or engage in them about being human and about being human with other people, about being human in creation, about being human before the vast universe. Sometimes we have to just do it and see what happens. One of the places where I love to walk is the desert. I particularly love hiking there. My husband and I took four days of vacation in Arizona one year in July in Arizona <laughs> in July. <laughs> Turns out there's a reason they lower the room weight rates at those fancy resorts in, in July. <laughs> it was so hot. It was hard to be outside after 9am. We got up at six one morning to take a hike up a mountain to get back before it got too hot. It was glorious. I love it there. But I, I have a friend who says that the desert is out to get you. We experienced this together when we both went on a UU College of Social Justice trip to the Arizona border. Our guide, um, one, of, one of the guides, Ed, led us on a walk in the desert, through the desert, along the paths of those border crossers who, cro who seek a better life, and um, usually are crossing at Mexico, having come from South American countries. 
He led us through the many types of cactus growing there. So saguaros, choyas, barrel cactus. We were given a special toolkit for removing those spines from our shoes, our clothing, our skin, just in case we needed it. It was a comb and pliers. I'll confess to you that I did not plan to need it. I was feeling pretty smug when all those other people were having to stop to get help with removing those cactus spines from their boots and their pant legs and their hair. Yes, it got in their scalp. I was used to desert hiking after all, but then of course it happened. I ducked under to move through something and I could feel it in there. Those long cactus spines this long had gone all the way through that thin RE shirt, overshirt that I was wearing. And I had to carefully work my way out of the sleeve in order for someone to take the comb and the pliers and pull them out of my upper arm. So imagine people crossing the border and trying to make their way 20 miles or more to some safe place. The desert, especially if you're unfamiliar with it, is dangerous hot temperatures, no food, little shelter, without proper clothing, especially shoes, no water. There's no way that an individual can carry enough water from Mexico far enough across the border to survive. Why do I tell you this story? Because in the spiritual practice of walking, we're asked to pay attention to the altars that we see and experience along the way. And some of those altars are crosses over graves, marked unknown, unknown, adolescent. I tell you this story because the humanitarian aid workers along the southern border reminded us that it's all our border. It doesn't matter if we're in California or Texas or Iowa or Virginia. It's all our border. We're responsible for what happens there as much as here. And in many ways, the border has come here. The people from the border are here. Children that the teachers in our congregation, the faculty at the schools who work with children, those children every day. Children that those in this church see at Loudon Hunger Relief or a backpack program or all ages read together. Those for whom Spanish or another non-English English, English language is the language of their birth. Children who may have experienced domestic violence are being held in a detention center away from their families. Is this their Camino? There are other borders that we must acknowledge as well. Ukraine and Russia, Palestine and Israel. I know the pain. I feel it. It's palpable today. Poet Warshan Shire writes that no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. 
You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Is this their Camino? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. All humans deserve a chance to thrive. Not to flee for their lives. Not to leave their homeland or be in danger while going about their daily lives. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this because walking as a spiritual practice sounds beautiful and a little bit easy and amazing. But when we walk, when we do open our understanding, when we're open to the expansion of our thoughts and our own experiences, and we open to growth and will and, and a willingness to be changed by those experiences, and we become willing to take in the all of it, That is also the Camino, our Camino. And frankly, I'm frustrated with spiritual teachers who don't acknowledge that all, the all of the path in a direct way, but those who call it being human without actually acknowledging and naming what it means to be human, that sometimes we leave home because home is the mouth of a shark. I tell you this because it's cognitive dissonance to talk about walking as a spiritual practice when the world is on fire. But this is when we need a spiritual practice the most. I call your attention to this because it sounds like this journey, the Camino, the walking, however it shows up for you is an individual journey. And I, I think that's true partly, but we don't walk our Camino alone. No one does. All of the stories that I heard from my friends involved meeting other people, who they talked with, who they walked with, strangers along the way. This journey requires that we pay attention to others as well as ourselves. Liberation is collective. We walk as a spiritual path so that we have time to notice those altars that we might not ordinarily notice. We walk for clarity about what to do when we realize that where we want to go is here, since that's where we are, and clarity about our next right move. To know how to meet the needs of this world and this community with kindness, compassion, and justice. So this morning, I leave you with two questions. The first of which you will hear again this year. What does this community need? Not this community in here, the community out there, the larger Loudoun community. What does that community really need? that this church could offer to it. 
And the second question is, what is your Camino? Groundedness, five, four, three, two, one. Things you can hear, see, hear, feel, smell, and taste. Walk, just walk and notice. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear the earth sing if you listen. <laughs> 